0: Welcome to America's Tap Rebitsons. May this cut be for a foolish for Sora Bat Hana, Leah Hana Batova, and Hana Bat Masha. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Tap Rebitsons YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I am honored to have on today's show Rebitson Devora Leah Maris. Rebitson Devora Leia is the mother of six children, as well as the co director of Chabad of South Carolina. She teaches classes to women, runs a day camp, and organizes the overall Jewish programming in her city. Her passions include spearheading large events for the Jewish community and spreading love for Jewish heritage. She's also a marriage, couples, and family psychotherapist. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do.
1: It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, I do want to just change one thing is that I'm not the co-director of the Chabad here, but I'm the co-director of the programming here. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, so yeah, my husband and I moved here 15 years ago when I was, um, well, close to 15 years ago, I was pregnant with my oldest child. Um, we started our family here. We had all our children here. Um, we started a day camp in the summer. So we run a day camp. Um, my husband and I give adult classes, I get the woman classes, he gives to both. Um, I run children events, such as like challah bakes and havdalah events. We have holiday events, everything and anything in between. Um, we sort of help people as they transition through life phases. So like from the bris to the bat or bar mitzvah, weddings, deaths. Um, and then a few years ago in the beginning of COVID, actually right before COVID, I enrolled in a um, counseling program at the university here in downtown. And I graduated last May with a degree in counseling, um, particularly in marriage, couples, and family.
0: And so that's just a little snippet of who I am. Masasa, that's amazing. That's a really that's a really big accomplishment. And you can really use all the information you learned to help so many women. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's really you know the evolution of how it came to be is that um, I was meeting with so many women in my community and couples um, uh, talking about just regular life. Challenges. Um, and then, even dealing with my own children's challenges that they were going through, and noticing that there's really a lack of representation when it comes to Orthodox um, or even Chabad um, therapists that would really be able to relate to the challenges that we were going through. Um, and then, as far as the community members, you know, um, we were talking about all of these things. And so I said, of course, I have the Torah experience and I have, you know, life experience and all of that. But wouldn't it be great if I can also have, you know, the education, the science behind it just to add on to it? So that's that's kind of the genesis and then the evolution of it.
0: Very nice. Very nice. For sure. Now you have everything Now you have the Torah and the science. So it's a great yeah. pair.
1: And it's not only a great pair, but we know this. But now I can even prove it is that once I started to learn the science, I realized that everything is actually in the Torah. And it's very much, yeah, sourced, everything is there. But sometimes our natural soul, our animal soul, likes to learn it in different kinds of ways. And so that really helped me, uh, you know, really approach the information in a holistic way.
0: I love that. I love that. And so today we're going to be talking about some of that. We're going to be talking about really a situation that affects so many women, but it often gets swept under the rug and it's not openly talked about today together we're going to address it today and we're really talking about postpartum depression and anxiety. We're going to delve into the causes, the symptoms, and we're going to give anyone who is facing this challenge some kind of concrete tools they can use to help alleviate both the depression and the anxiety because um as we were saying earlier before the interview there's so many people that that suffer from this and you can't always tell. You could have a mommy with a baby and she's walking around the park smiling feeding the baby everything looks normal but you have no idea what's going on inside and she's yeah. sometimes Yeah. And she doesn't even sometimes tell her family and friends. So like there are times when nobody knows that she's struggling or even how much she's struggling. So today we're going to try to help alleviate all that. So let's dive in. Um, I mean, when a woman has a baby, her friends and family and everyone around her automatically assume that she must be so happy. And this is such a happy time for her and that she's elated to be, you know, have been given the blessing of this baby. Yeah. And quite often, this is not the case. And there's so many times when a woman has a baby and instead of feeling immense joy, she feels sadness and depression. And she may also feel anxiety over this next chapter of her life, whether it's her first child or her sixth child. And these emotions may leave the mother feeling confused about what's happening to her. So let's try to understand what's really going on. So first of all, to start, can you please help us identify the symptoms of postpartum depression and anxiety and also talk to us about what causes it all?
1: Sure. I can try. Um, so the symptoms of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, and I really want to call it perinatal, which means that it can start when a woman becomes pregnant and go all the way to postnatal. Wow. Okay. Postpartum, yeah. So I would say that the symptoms include more sadness than usual. And what I mean by that is that there is, a. a motion that is experienced by most mothers, 70% of mothers, and that's called the postpartum blues, right? We all know about it. You can fill it up to two to four weeks after birth. That's normal where you kind of just feel like a little blue, you're overtired. Your body just experienced sometimes a traumatic, um, birth or an exhausting birth. Um, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about something that's a lot more significant. So some of the symptoms may include like a loss of appetite. You know, feeling of helplessness, feeling so overwhelmed that you don't feel like you can even think beyond the next minute, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, intrusive thoughts, excessive crying, right? So we're not just like crying once a day, right? We're like really just finding ourselves crying throughout the day and not being able to explain what it is that we're crying about An inability to care for the baby or for yourself. Um, Obsessive thoughts, like going back to the baby and, and checking if they're breathing 10 times a night. Wow. Yeah. Thoughts of harming yourself or the baby. Um, blaming. That's one that's really not spoken about, but you find yourself blaming your partner a lot. Mm -hmm. That's one of the symptoms of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, psychosis sometimes. Yeah. Um, what causes it? I mean, that's a great question. There's so much research on what causes it. So let's start from the just basic is that when we are you know, when, when one is pregnant, their, um, hormone levels increase significantly and drastically. So when I'm, when I say drastically, I mean like within the first few months, like just the woman's estrogen level increases by 200%. Wow. That's a big number. a huge increase. Yeah. Progesterone too, not 200%, but significantly too. Um, and and it all sort of goes into the placenta to help create that baby. Right. And feed the baby. And then when the placenta leaves the body, there's this massive drop in hormones. I mean, like the body is in whack. And so a lot of women sort of go with that ebb and flow until the body balances out. But there's a percentage of women that feel it so strongly. They feel that, that, that drop in the hormones. And there's other hormones that are increased, like oxy, oxy, like all different hormones when we nurse the baby or other things. Um, but these two hormones particularly are so important and they are related. The research shows to depression and anxiety, et cetera. So that's just to begin with. And then, um, in addition to the drop in hormones, um, what are other causes? So if one experienced, you know, a previous, um, depression or anxiety, or is, experiencing depression and anxiety, you're much more likely to have postpartum depression, right? So you if you had a previous diagnosis of any of those things, there's a good chance that you, you might experience it again. And that's not a bad thing as far as like, oh, you had it. So now for sure you're going to have it. No, if anything, you could be more prepared for it. Right. Um, So there's like a reframe there. Um, Lack of social and family support. That's, that's a big cause uh, that really helps, you know, um, the development of postpartum anxiety and depression um there's a lot of research that has that has suggested that um uh marriage issues when right when the spouses are not on the same plane and they're not um, on the same track of where they're going and they're not in the same place then that really helps increase the chances of that development of postpartum anxiety and depression you know the spouses not being on the same page um, What else perceived low partner support. So that means if the woman feels that she's not getting the support that she needs, and even if she is getting support, but she feels like she is not getting the support. There's incredible research that shows that there's a correlation there. Um, Insecure couple attachment. Oh, wow. So if there's attachment issues there, That can be a real trigger for the, for the depression, um, and anxiety, uh, the, the mothers now in 2023, I mean, um, the woman's balance of work and family. I mean, it almost feels impossible. That's something that so many women struggle with. Um, what else? Low self-esteem on the mom's part. If she's already coming into the picture of motherhood, feeling like she's, not as good as she thinks she is right or she's not doesn't have that self-efficacy then when it comes to motherhood she's going to feel like she's not doing a good enough job yeah right those exactly. are just, those are just some of the causes that we know of um for that postpartum mood
0: disorders Right, and I'm also thinking, like you know, um, if she's not, if she doesn't have her needs met, if you know, like you said, with, with lack of support, and if she's not able to meet her own needs, and mm-hmm. there's nobody around for support, then that's going to really exasperate the situation and make it a million times worse. I
1: yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and and the way that we live here nowadays, it's not the village. We live right. so far away, a lot of us, from family and from our close friends and from that support that used to be just a part of the reality of a postpartum woman and we we see that in different countries now where they don't experience the high levels uh, volumes of postpartum mood disorders that we have here in the western world because they still have that village support they still have that you know sisterhood that holds on to one another and and, and literally doesn't um, allow the new mother the kimpatorin, right and yet it's called the kimpatorin. Doesn't allow the mother to get out of her bed or take care of the other children or cook a meal you know, because they understand how sacred and how vulnerable
0: that space that the new mother is in. Wow, that is really, really beautiful. Wow. You know, and also some women are, are they have the, the community, like the Jewish community, if they're part you know, of a community that can cook for them or offer a carpool for the other kids or help the, the other ones with homework. Yeah. You know, that's helpful. But it's true. Not everybody even has that. So right,
1: not everybody has that. And I, I think just on a personal note, I think for me, the hardest part of living, you know, away from family and friends is the postpartum period when, you know, you're already in a vulnerable position, but then you have all these other responsibilities, whether it's just your family responsibilities or whether it's community responsibilities, you know, um, it, it is sometimes very, you know, a lonely experience.
0: Yes, it's just very uh, it, the feelings yeah. are very, very, very valid, very, very valid um so i mean and also one big issue that comes along with postpartum depression and anxiety is guilt many women feel that they should be happy that they just had a baby everyone around them is showering them with compliments and with good wishes and on the outside they smile and they say thank you but on the inside they're crying they're screaming nobody could see it because it's happening on the inside but they feel awful and this mm-hmm. leads to conflicted emotions and women Women feel guilty that they're not beaming with happiness with a, at their bundle of joy. They feel like there's something wrong with them because they're not happy. And this is not true. So there's nothing wrong with anyone who has a postpartum depression or anxiety, and there's nothing to feel guilty about. So what can we say to people who are listening to help normalize their feelings and take away that sense of guilt?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's really difficult because I feel that mothers who are experiencing this kind of challenge after birth many times don't realize that they are experiencing this challenge. They can't zoom out and see what their reality is. They sort of just try to trek through it. Um, It's okay. I'm okay. I'll get through this, but sometimes it's really significant and they do need to reach out for help. I do want to just put out some statistics before I answer your question, because I think it's important to note that one out of seven or one out of eight, depending on the research that you look at, um, women experience postpartum depression and anxiety after birth. That's like 20% of the population. But that's really under, um, it, it, it's, it's, the, the numbers are not correct because if you think about it, these are only, these are the numbers of women who reported their experiences, right, right? To these studies. How many women suffer silently? Right. Without saying a word. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, there's also postpartum depression for men, for new fathers, 7%. <laughs>
0: Yeah. That I never heard of. Honestly, I've never heard about that. Really. Can you just tell me something about that? Cause I'm fascinated. I mean,
1: you know, there's a lot of changes and even good changes is, are hard. We know that. Um, and so the father often, whether it's the lack of sleep, the new responsibilities, the, the, the different dynamic and the relationship with the spouse. I mean, there are so many changes and sometimes that really triggers a, a mood disorder response in in the person.
0: Wow. In yeah. the man, in the man you're talking about.
1: Yeah. So it's lower than obviously, but they do experience that
0: it's a, it's a real thing. Okay. All right. It's good to know. Okay. Thank you.
1: So as far as the guilt, okay. So first of all, you're not alone, right? I mean, we know now that many women experience this, there's truly nothing, you know, shameful about emotions. You can't control what you're feeling. We know that even from the Torah, like what we feel are we're not responsible for, what we're gonna do with that feeling is what we're responsible for. So feeling depressed, feeling sad, feeling like there's something wrong. What's the shame? And then I want to take one, I want to take that one step further because we know that what what shame could do is that it triggers our fight or flight response in our brain. And really what that means is that our thinking brain and our rational brain shuts down like truly just shuts down. And so when we're feeling shameful about our existence as a mother, right? As a caretaker, we can't really do anything about it as long as the shame is attached to us. Right. We want to really divorce ourselves from those feelings and there's ways to do that, but I just wanted to put that out. So there's nothing shameful about it. Um, the first step I think is really to validate and acknowledge, admit that this is your reality right now. And it's okay. A lot of women go through it. There's help for it. It's, there's nothing wrong with you. It's very normal for a large population of women to experience this. This is what your body is doing. And the faster I think that you acknowledge that the faster you can do the next step, which is reaching out for help. Right. And so how do you do that? So I think the first thing you want to do is have an open and candid discussion with your partner, um, with your friend, with your mom with your primary caretaker, with your OBGYN, really, truly expressing how you're feeling, because trust me, especially the OBGYN or your friends, or they've heard this before. This is what they do. They're here to help you. They are trained to help you. Okay. And there are plenty of treatment options. Some women are really reluctant to speak to these people because in their mind, they're thinking, Oh my God, I don't want to go on drugs. I don't want to go on pharmaceutical, you know, But if that's not what you, first of all, have that discussion, there are so many treatment modalities that you can, you know, try before you, you go to the drugs, if that's, what's keeping you back. Um, There's, there's talk therapy, there's different uh, modalities in therapy that are evidence-based to help postpartum women. And not only that, but some studies even show that um, therapy is just as effective as drugs for many women.
0: Wow. That's good to know. So they don't have to worry. Oh my gosh, maybe I'm breastfeeding. I don't want to take medicine. I don't want to give it to my baby. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And then some people will have to go on drugs and really the studies show that um, there's a very small chance of it harming the baby. And there are different, yeah, there are different drugs that they'll give at certain, you know, t- depending on what your history is um, and depending what you're experiencing right now, it might be more important for you to be on those drugs than to be, doing other things, right? You want to be a normal person first before anything else. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think really having that open conversation and saying what there is to offer to help you, I think is the first step, right? You want to get out of that fight or flight. You want to get out of that shame space. You want to get out of there's something wrong with me, turn for help and see that you're just, part of a really large population that is struggling through the exact same thing, there's help. And, you know, you don't have to do therapy and drugs forever. Sometimes it's just for a short little bit till you're balanced out.
0: Right, right. That's a really good point. I, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it does take the shame and the embarrassment about it out of it. You You have to be a normal person first because then you can't even be a good mother to your baby. Like if you're not okay, nobody's going to be okay.
1: It's so funny. Cause I see mothers, you know, and I struggled with this myself Well, I have to nurse, I mean, I have to breastfeed and it just wasn't working for me. Um, and I think that's one of also one of the big, big causes of postpartum depression, or, or at least lends to, you know, how it manifests in your body. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work for a woman and that's okay to know that that's okay too. You're a perfectly good mother and you getting stuck in that vicious cycle of, I have to do this in order to be a good mother, in order to prove myself is just feeding your anxiety. It's just feeding your depression. And it just, you go down that rabbit hole. Sometimes you really have to step back and look at the big picture, right? What's going to really matter in five years from now.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. My family,
1: how I am as a mother, right? What my nervous system is like near my baby.
0: What is the baby feeling near me? Yeah. This is all really important stuff because it really tra- it does transmit to the baby. Even if you're not, I mean, God forbid not harming the baby, but even just the way that you're feeling standing next to the baby transmits to the baby.
1: Right. So even if you're like, I'm going to be a martyr and I'm going to do all of these things, I am going to do this. Every other mother does it. I have to do it. Well, you know what? That anxiety is actually translating to your baby. Maybe it's not the right thing to do right now.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And I like how you said that the different types of people to reach out to, because sometimes a a person can be really, really and truly alone. Like maybe they're alienated from the family, not just distance wise, but like they don't speak, you know, and sometimes the father isn't even in the picture for whatever reason. But you can just you can always reach out, call your OBGYN, call your doctor. Even you can call the emergency room. They will be able to to, to tell you who else you could call with the next step, you know, the the next phone call to make. Yeah
1: thousand percent people are here to help you that's what you need to know and people are happy to help right yes
0: yes Yes. okay no that's very good I'm so glad that we mentioned that um and so I would love to give mothers who are facing this challenge some really concrete tools that they could use starting right now to help them slowly come out of their depression and anxiety so I want to ask you what are just some practical basic easy and doable strategies that women can put into place today
1: easy you want huh
0: i kind of (laughs) do i know nothing is easy it's true it's very true (laughs) i think
1: acknowledging you need help is is not easy but it's gonna get you the farthest right there's nothing wrong with having needs especially when you're in that vulnerable position after birth okay practical things so i think it's really important to communicate what your needs are there's nothing wrong with being needy we're human beings who have needs there's just nothing wrong with that um i think to be clear about what your roles are your roles change when you become parents, even the second, third, fifth, or tenth time. And so what is that going to look like in our family? How can we plan best for this postpartum period in our life? Um, who's gonna do do bedtime? Who's gonna wake up at night? Who's gonna make the bottles? Who's going to be cleaning? Who's gonna be making the meals? I mean, really trying to get as detailed as you can beforehand. There's always gonna be surprises, but you can be as prepared as you as you can, you know. Um, You can try to be as prepared as possible. And that really does help. And the expectations about your home and the baby's care in general, right? Maybe there's an older sibling that can help. Maybe somebody can come, um, and babysit once a week. Maybe, I mean, really try to get out of your little box and get creative. I think it's really important to strengthen the attachments that we have with our partners before birth and then postpartum. It's really, really important to, um, Try to connect in ways maybe that we haven't connected before to communicate in different ways, to spend more time in creative ways, have coffee together after birth, even if it's 15 minutes in the backyard, a tea or on the bench or in Starbucks, right? Preferably without the baby, but if with the baby, fine, um, communicate with the partner, you know, ask what is happening in your life that I don't know of and maybe share something. And we'll expand a little bit more about this soon. Um, as I mentioned before, find the therapist that will help you navigate during this, you know, difficult period. The, um, there are two modalities that research has suggested that really help postpartum women, CBT and IPT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, right. And interpersonal, interpersonal therapy, right. Interpersonal meaning that the understanding is that a lot of our anxiety and depression comes from social, um, deficiencies within our, our, uh, our systems, our family systems. Right. So, how we learn to communicate with them, our needs, and how we interact with them really helps our well-being. Okay, yeah,
0: the communication piece is really, really important.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's everything. Um, as I said before, drugs could be short-term, right? It can help you through the rough patch. It can balance your hormones. It can help you see life instead of through a straw, only like a small, tiny perspective. It lets you see in a holistic kind of multiple perspectives what's really going on sometimes you get stuck in that little like I only see this I only see the the gray the darkness the black but really sometimes therapy drugs it really helps open up your eyes to see that there's a lot more than what you think is real
0: right it's true it's true and I'm you know something that's resonating with me that you're saying is like the communication piece specifically with your partner, you know, and yes, you're right. It's so true to, you know, if you're still pregnant, you know, whoever's listening to this, if you're still pregnant, you have the opportunity to do that. Even afterwards, even if you have the baby, you can still do that. But I can imagine people listening to this. What if he doesn't want to hear what I have to say? What if he's always working all the time? What if he doesn't help me? What if he doesn't want to help me? What if he can't help me? What if he doesn't know what he's doing? I can hear people saying that. I can already hear in their heads. Is there anything that you can share with them that maybe can alleviate some of that, that stress?
1: I mean, because so you said a lot of things right now. You said maybe he's too busy to help me. And you also said maybe he doesn't want to help me. Yeah. So- very different things if a partner can't help because they're whatever then there's you are going to have to turn to get support from other places even though partner support has really really shown through research to be one of the most effective ways of um you know not getting these mood disorders but um if the partner doesn't want to listen to you maybe there's a bigger issue that you have to really deal with and maybe it's time to try couples counseling or something that will really get you on the same page especially before, um, something so significant and new happens in your life, bringing a new life into this world. It's very important that you're on the same page that you do feel understood and seen and that you can relate to your partner and that you are heard and that your needs are important and vice versa. Um, yes. As far as continuing the practical strategy. So I think, um, if you're on social media, if that's something you do, maybe it's time to really be mindful and selective about who you're following Um, because it's, it's a very vulnerable time after birth. And if you kind of, you know, you're seeing moms doing it all, and you're seeing new moms who seem so happy and whatever. Maybe it's time to just put a hold on that and maybe start following groups that will be a supportive of you. There's so many support groups right now for new moms and moms experiencing postpartum depression, anxiety, and challenges. Go into those groups. There's nothing like getting a fellow mom's validation, acknowledgement. They see you for what you're going through. You don't, you know, you no longer feel alone. So important. Um, and it doesn't have to be through social media. There's even groups that physically, you know, get together for that kind of support. So if that's not something you do, go ahead and do that. Um, as far as the communication with a spouse, if, um, so I would encourage something, um, that we call daily temperature readings. Have you ever heard of that? Um, no. Okay. So that's basically where you, have 15 minutes. Let's say if you can only manage once a week after birth, do it once a week, but try to do it as many times as possible as you can. And I'm going to do, I'm going to be really brief of what that is. So a daily temperature is like you're taking your spouse's temperature with one another. So what do I mean by that? So you share something that you appreciate about one another. So that's how you start. So it's not something general, like I appreciate you as a mother. It's I appreciate the fact that you got up last night, even though I know you went to sleep so late and I heard the baby vomiting in the middle of the night, and then you changed it. And then this morning, I mean, you're trying to get as detailed as possible to really show the partner that you understand vice versa. I really appreciate that you woke up this morning because you saw how hard it was last night for me. And you took the baby for 25 minutes and made me a hot coffee that made me feel so loved. I really appreciate that. Um, next thing is information. You're sharing information because you know how it is after birth. There's no time to talk about just regular life. So you're going to share one piece of information that you really want to tell my sister's getting engaged. And I'm wondering what the chassan is like, I'm not there. I'm feeling like I'm out of sorts, you know, um, information, you know, I just got this business deal, whatever you're sharing something about your life that maybe you couldn't have while you're changing the baby's diaper and running from bottle to breastfeeding or whatever. Um, then there's, and I'm, I'm doing this very briefly, but then there's the puzzle piece, something that you're puzzled by with, uh, about your partner. So instead of blame, and instead of feeling anger, what you're doing is you're really peeling the layers and you're coming from a place of curiosity. I'm really puzzled by something that happened yesterday. I saw that you took a call while I was trying to speak to you. Can you explain to me what was going on there? something that you're puzzled by. Try to use I language instead of blame, which is you, right? And then there's concerns with a recommendation, something that you might be concerned about that's going on in your family, but you don't want to just give the concern. You want to give a solution. You want to give a recommendation of how that can be fixed. So I'm really concerned with how many times the baby is waking up. I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm feeling like it's really getting to me right now. I feel like maybe we need to take turns waking up for the baby. What do you think of that? And then there's, then there's wishes, hopes, and dreams. And that's something that you don't want to forget the part of you that was, you know, your partners first, and then you had babies. What are your wishes as partners? What are your hopes with one another? What are your dreams with one another? I really hope that next week we can go on a date together because I miss our time together. And it's so important to me. That is my dream for next week. Just a small example.
0: That's so beautiful. I love this daily temperature reading. You know what? You can even do this even if you don't have any kids. Like, I just feel like this is a wonderful communication tool between a husband and a wife. This was made for partnerships, regardless of kids. I just
1: kind of inserted into this yes. conversation because it's how much more so yes. is it needed at this time of of of
0: a marriage, right? I totally agree. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I really appreciate you bringing this up because this, you're right. Like this is such a, a transition period between, you know, maybe if you first, you went from just being a couple, just you two to now you have one. And then it's a big transition transition from after one to two, and then two to three, because now you're outnumbered. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So many transitions and so many changes, and though they are good, they are
0: hard. They are so hard yes. and you'll get through it, even though it's hard. Yes. And speaking of that, actually, I, you know, we all like to be inspired to see hope and light at the end of the tunnel. So one way we could do that is to hear about someone who faced these struggles and these challenges and who worked through it and who came out on the other side successfully. So speaking of success and seeing the light at the other end of the tunnel, can you please share with us a story or two about someone, you know, you don't have to say their name, but who faced a challenge of postpartum depression and or anxiety and was able to come out of it and be happy again?
1: mm. It's a good question. I mean, so generally so many of our friends experience postpartum depression anxiety, so many of us. And so I don't think there's one story or two stories. We're there to help. We're constantly trying to uplift them and to be there for them. But I could speak personally to myself, you know, I knew almost nothing about post postpartum anxiety or depression when I got married and had my first few kids. I knew nothing. I thought that what it meant was that you want to harm the baby. Or yourself. And I never had those thoughts. I had really strong postpartum anxiety that I didn't even know of till till after my fourth baby. I didn't have it with all the children, but I had it with one or two very strongly. I did not know that I had it. Um, till later, till I started to study and do research and realized that's exactly what I was going through. And I had so many of the symptoms that are, that are not maybe spoken about all the time, that are not the regular symptoms, right? So it really varies. There's such a large spectrum. But um, a personal, um, I guess, story or anecdote or my the narrative of, of, of my story of children is that my mom had 12 kids, thank God. And wow. after the babies, she would go to the Kempfentorn home you know what that is? I don't, that is, they have in, they have actually in, 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 um, Asian countries, in many Asian countries, they have these homes, but they also have it in the Hasidic world, um, like the Satma world and the, and the, in, in like Williamsburg and in late in some, in, in one just opened up in Lakewood and they have it in Monroe and they have it in an and what it is, is like a hotel for postpartum mothers.
0: I love this idea. Oh my gosh. Oh, our postpartum mothers, what is
1: it? Okay. They have a nursery for the babies with nurses 24 hours around the clock. They bathe the babies. They will feed the babies if you want them to. They will hold the babies and rock the babies. There are three delicious, wholesome, five course meals for every single meal. And I mean that like better food than I've ever tasted in my whole life. And when I say wholesome, I mean, they give food that the mother needs after birth to balance the hormones that she just lost. Right. And they know what they're doing there. So you feel your strength coming back. And then there's a tea room, 24 hour tea room with every kind of dessert and cookie and cake and ice cream and hot drinks and coffee that you can go to. And you can get a private room or you can share a room. I mean, you know, you want to call these communities insular and all the words that you want to say, look how progressive they are when you weigh it against society or progressive society these days, they know what they're doing with these postpartum mother. That is central to their community to make sure that the mother is in a well cared for environment in the most vulnerable state that she is in. And they have, they even have like the my health coming to check on the baby after the breast. I mean, they have like different models that come, they have people that come to do airs for baby girls there. I mean, they have stores, but so the mother gets to rest, they will bring the mother to, you if you're breastfeeding, they'll bring the baby to you. Wow. I mean, it is the place. So getting back to the story, my mother would always tell us, I remember she went. And then when I started to have babies, she started, I'm the oldest, I'm her oldest daughter out of six daughters. And she was like, go, go, go do it. I'm telling you, she realized how lonely I was here and how hard it was for me. And I'm like, no, so old fashioned. Why would I go there? I'm fine. I'm fine. My mother's telling me, right. All the things that daughters do until they realize their mothers are correct. Um, (laughs) and after my fourth baby, I had a really traumatic birth. Um, it was really, really a difficult experience for me. I did not feel connected to my baby. Um, you know, a few days after birth, it was really difficult. My mother and my husband convinced me, go, go, go. It's also really hard to imagine me going because you're, you know, after a traumatic birth, forget about the soreness, the physical feelings that your, your body's experiencing. It's also that you have to take a flight to get there (laughs) with a new baby. It's the last thing you want to do. So I just kept pushing it off, but they really convinced me. And I went to new square in Muncie near Muncie. Um, And it just changed my life. That's all I'm going to say. I wrote an article about it that actually went viral, but it changed my life. I felt so supported and seen, forget about all the things I just told you, all the women there just lifting you up, listening to your stories, sharing your stories, feeling, knowing that you're not alone, knowing you are part of something so much greater than you with women who are experiencing the exact same things you're experiencing. There's nothing wrong with you. You just, there's, there's hardly any room there to feel anxious or depressed because you're just so connected and you're just so supported. Um, and you're just being tended to in the most beautiful ways possible. Um, and you can sleep through the night there. I mean, that was one of the things that I had a really hard time after I did not sleep for nights and nights and nights. And that really messes up with everything. So after a few nights there, I felt like a really new human being. I did. And I um, I uh, it was actually after my fifth kid, now that I think about it. it, was after my fifth kid. And I went again after my sixth child, Kananahara. And both times, it was just the most holistic, wholesome, beautiful experience that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and I I just recommend this kind of, you know, um, experience for everyone, you know, even if you feel like, you know, maybe you're fine or whatever, there's something so valuable um, about being in that environment after birth. Um, and there, there are women there that go even with one baby, like with their first, it's not just if you have five or six or 10, like you can go after and feel they teach you, they have lactation, you know, They're there to hold your hands and just be there for you. Um, The second time around, I went to another, there's, there are a few in the tri-state area. I went to Monroe, both wonderful experiences. And I just wish that here and, you know, in, in, in our world today in 2023, we can have that all over the United States. And we don't have to travel to get that kind of care that we all really deserve.
0: I think it's so important. And like the one the one theme that I'm really, really getting into strong theme and such a beautiful theme that what the mother needs most is, is community and love and support and validation. You know, she just went through a lot, you know, whether she had a home birth or a C-section or a vaginal birth in the hospital, whether with an epidural, whether or not, she still had a baby and it's, it's a big deal. And she's transitioning now into this new world, new chapter in her life with this baby, whether she, you're right, whether she had six children or whether it's her first, she has now another one. And she needs that love and support and that care. And you know, it, it's so wonderful. Like if we can go to the hotels, I feel like I need to go to a hotel. hotel. I have two teenagers and a ten-year-old, and I feel I could use it. I mean, it's for sure.
1: We, all, I, we joke around my sisters and I and say, "Do you think they'll accept us if our kid is two now? Like, can we still go with our two-year-old, right?" But I mean, like, we we need it as mothers. We're so lacking that kind of community and support, and it's so critical and essential to our physical and mental health. Um, yes. and so we'll just try to find those ways. Maybe you can't go to the camp and Thurn home, but maybe you can get a night nurse. Maybe you can't get a night nurse. Maybe you can get a babysitter that comes every day, whatever you have to
0: get creative. Exactly. You have to get creative. And also I think a lot of people, like they ignore their own needs. Like if, if we as mothers could just say, you know, we're people too we have our own needs and not just our husband's needs or our baby's needs or the needs of our other children. We have needs too. And just taking the very, very first step and acknowledging ourselves, the fact that we have needs and then what are those needs and seeing how we can best fulfill them. You know, I think that's a huge step.
1: I so agree with that. And and those needs, as much as we want to ignore them, they will catch up to us. Oh, yes. Have it under the rug, but those needs will show up and you don't want it to show up in a way that's maladaptive. Exactly. You show up in a healthy way. So, the better we tend to our needs, the better we're going to show up to our spouse, the better we're going to show up to our families, our babies, our you know, and our communities.
0: Beautiful. It's so right on point. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebbitson Deborah Leah, for joining us on America's Top Rebbitson. It was really a pleasure to have you with us. And may the tremendous learning that we did today be for Rafu Shalema, for Sora Bat Lea Hana, Leah Hana Batova, and Hana Bat Masha. Thank you so much you. again. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. Thank you.